Join me for a deep conversation with Seed Levine, outdoor athlete, poet, philosopher, and farmer living off-grid on Hawaii, working the land. We'll go through some dark places as well as some joy and uplifting present tense. Please join me. Welcome to The Avid Adventurer. I'm your host, Dave Secunda, founder of Avid for Adventure, and I am psyched you're here. Each week, just like today, I'll bring you an interview with a kiddo, young adult, or parent as they share not only the details of their noteworthy outdoor pursuits, but also how they navigate risk, challenge, setbacks, and service in their journey. It'll bring a smile to your face and you'll feel your heart expand as you get to know the inner landscapes of these athletes. After listening, I know you'll feel uplifted and ready for your own next avid adventure. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome, Seed Levine. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself with your pronouns, where you are, your age, just a little bit about yourself. But I am so excited to have this conversation. This is a different kind of conversation than I've been having with other guests. And I have known you as an outdoor athlete, as um, a poet, as a philosopher, and more recently as a farmer. And, um, and I really look forward to this conversation as we work to kind of unpack how all of those things interact with each other uh, to bring you to where you are today. So to start with just like a brief introduction and then physically tell us where you're at right now, because um, that's a great jumping off point for the conversation. Great. Uh, likewise, I'm very thankful to be here and uh, having this conversation with you. So like you mentioned, my name is Seed. Levine, and um, I go by they, them pronouns, uh, and I'm currently living and located in Ahualoa, which is right above the town of Honoka'a on the big island of Hawaii. Beautiful. And right now, um, you're calling in on a laptop computer from uh, a piece of land that you've been farming that is off the grid. Um, tell us a little bit about that to start with kind of where you are right now and, and maybe um, connected a little bit to your chosen name as well as, as it seems very, very connected. Yeah. So um, my family purchased around 38 acres of land um, up in a beautiful part of the Homoku Coast. Um, we're surrounded by large eucalyptus trees, strawberry guava, a lot of cane grass, um, and cow pasture. Um, and I have had the opportunity to grow food on about a quarter acre of this land. Um, and food and seeds and the act of growing has been a passion of mine since sixth grade, if not before. 
Um, and it's been the one activity that has been consistent throughout my life in that it's been the one thing that when I am engaged in, I feel like myself. Mm, it's beautiful. Um, and there's no other way that I can accurately define who I am truthfully um, than that of a seed. I see us all as seeds, um, as just little bundles of potential that can grow into something pretty unimaginable. And so... Yeah, uh, my life has and continues to be a journey of kind of unlocking that potential. And, you know, more recently, a past life has really brought to, to light the fact that I, I was pretty much buried but like a quote I uh, a quote I like um, and I can't remember the person who I should attribute it to um, but it goes something to the tune of they buried us but they didn't know we were seeds and my past self buried myself <laughs> thankfully I was a seed so I've since sprouted and uh am growing. Hmm. Well, from my sense of seeing pictures of you on your beautiful land up there, growing the food that you are, um, it feels like a place that you uh, have found yourself. Share with us just kind of a, re a recent experience of joy or upliftment um, on the land and, and what, what brought that forward? So recently... Um, I have been kind of clearing out the quarter acre, um, from kind of six months of continuous planting, um, and cropping. And, um, it's, it's been an incredible six months of learning. And on, on this one particular day, um, the weather was pretty pristine and it was late in the afternoon and I was picking up, um, some rotting cauliflower plants <laughs> and, um, with that incredible stench and the flies around and that soft wind and golden light, it's just the perfect contrast that really grounds you in the moment as it stimulates all senses um, and just kind of made me stop and recognize like where I'm at and where I've came, like where I've come from and, and, you know, all, all that I want to do in the future as it, relate to agriculture which has become my my love and my life and um so that was a pretty incredible moment 
And then every day, I just, I can't believe how fortunate I am to, to wake up and, and walk outside and, and see this incredible garden and envision a future of more and more and more acres like it. Mm. Um, because, you know, all I want to do is, is feed the community and, um, currently I'm focusing on root vegetables. I have found a kind of infectious, uh, I would, I would almost say like obsession, uh, with carrots mm-hmm. and, <laughs> um, carrots are generally hard to grow in the tropics because the heat and the humidity, um, will usually result in a carrot that's either weirdly shapen um, or really bad tasting. Like it tastes kind of bitter and piney. Um, And in addition to that, uh, I should have mentioned previously, uh, I am a big fan of seed saving. It's actually one of the ramps that kind of got me to where I am today in terms of growing food. Um, It it started uh, as a sixth grade science project in a garden on my then school campus, uh, growing uh, rows and rows of cucumbers and and beans and, and watching how those plants and fruits matured um, past, you know, market maturity to the point of, um, seed maturity and collecting those like big yellow cucumbers and, um, dry brown long beans. Um, and then watching as those fruits and pods, you know, created these seeds that could then you know, be the start of so many more um, plants. And carrots are interesting because um, they're biennials. So um, they need two years or a period of fertilization in order to go to seed. And we don't have winter here. So it would be hard to get biennials to go to seed. Um, and so I've started to look into tropical carrots and I've actually re- reached out to researchers from the USDA, um, and, uh, some other researchers from local colleges here and have been able to get my hands on a few cultivars of tropical, um, annual carrots that were bred in Brazil. So that's a <laughs> kind of a side project that I hope to become <laughs> a main project, but it's creating my own um, carrot, strain of carrot that mm. can be produced here and sold here. Um, not only the, the seeds, but the roots, as I want to become a mass producer of carrot and beet roots in the future. That's actually my like two to five year goal is to acquire 20 to 100 acres of land and start growing beets and carrots on a massive scale. And I know I'm going down a huge tangent here, um, <laughs> but to, to bring it back around, um, it's all starting here with this pilot plot up in Ahuloa, 
Again, it's about 10,000 square feet, so a little under a quarter acre. And um, I'm, I'm focusing on those root crops, so turnips, carrots, radish, beets. Um, I'm also growing a little bit of cauliflower. It's a sprouting cauliflower uh, for restaurants. So clearly, Seed, I mean, you, you're all in on, on this project. You're 19 years old, living off the grid by yourself up there or, you know, pretty much on the land and farming this land, moving this project forward. Is that correct? That is correct. My parents come to visit from time to time because my dad does some work out here um, at the Seal Hospital, Kekaiola, and Dolphin Quest. Um, yes. But other than that, I am pretty much on my own, surrounded by an incredible community of neighbors who really have facilitated the beginning of, like, a trade economy. So every week I give um, a neighbor down the road Oz uh, carrots or turnips and he'll give me a dozen eggs and the same is true for other neighbors in the in hood i love it i love it well let me let me ask you a question um that goes a little bit deeper if i could so um i can tell and our listeners can tell your level of commitment and if they could see you they would see your level of upliftment just as you share these experiences of, uh, you know, the, the smell of the cauliflower or the appreciation and gratitudes for the surroundings. I mean, you exude the joy that is clearly present from being on this land, going all in with this, with this project and, um, and creating this vision for the future. And I really commend that. Before we started recording here, you and I were having a conversation and we're talking, um, about in the past, some of the outdoor pursuits that you would um, kind of lean into, which my perception in knowing you um, were maybe stair steps to where you are. But what you shared with me is that they were really um, an escape from kind of an, a, a, a difficult inner landscape. Um, and that those experiences of, for example, trail running, um, would increase in frequency or time or distance. And uh, to somebody watching you from the outside, it might look like passion for the outdoors. What I hear you saying is that it was really kind of a form of escape um, and, and kind of a drug in and of itself. So now you're leaning full in on farming feels like a very different feeling to you, but pursuing it with that same zeal, that same, passion you know talk about your own kind of understanding of like how i mean maybe it's a not a, the right question but how can you distinguish between escapism and passion and kind of alignment um because some of these escape things kind of took you down some rabbit holes that were you know close to your own peril i will say yeah, um, I think this is a very deep question. And, you know, as a, a younger person, um, I would engage in a lot of activities like running, like paddling. And, um, I would, I would take them to the extreme level of, you know, whatever it may be just to get away from 
maybe some darker feelings um, of, of the state of the world and the state of kind of my own perspective on life. Um, and when, you know, during that time, I also had the opportunity to be in the garden. I was fortunate enough to work on some farms and um, continue working on the the garden that I'd started um, in my sixth grade year at Lanikai Elementary School, now called Kauhau. Um, and it's pretty easy to distinguish between the two because when I was running or when I was paddling, all I wanted was to move as fast as I can. Um, all as fast, like, I just wanted to get that sensation of everything is a blur. And, and that's when there, there, you know, was a very temporary, um, shot of like peace and, and tranquility or what I interpreted as like a moment of peace and tranquility. Um, but whenever I stopped, those, those feelings also stopped and, you know, reality hit me again in full force. When I was in the garden, everything was moving in slow motion. And I, I wanted to be there as long as possible. And I wanted to feel myself. So rather than trying to run away from myself, I wanted to be there present with, with myself and my thoughts in the garden as I felt held, I felt supported, I felt understood by something that I, you know, can try to understand, but honestly would have a hard time doing it, whether it's the embodiment of like this universal truth or just the individual spirits of the plants, the animals, the seeds, working together in this synergy to create an environment that was like this cradle that I needed to actually come down to earth. So in a way they're similar, but they're also night and day opposites because on one hand, I was trying to get away from myself. I was trying to separate like basically me from the world and I I would I would repeat these activities like at the peril of my own life and health and body and on the other hand this was this nurturing experience that I felt like I needed to actually come down to earth and to stay on this earth and I attribute, like, the garden, um, the, my family, I call it, um, to, to my kind of continued existence here, in addition to my, my family, of course. Um, but I needed that. 
I honestly needed that because, and, and sure, maybe it also was a crutch in a way. And today I, I have learned to, to channel those, those feelings that I, that I would, you know, feel in the garden. Um, I've learned to carry them with me wherever I am, whether that's in a city, on a plane, um, or like just in some place that I might not feel as comfortable. Um, because I, I, I did experience a lot of social anxiety as a, as a youth. And, um, so yeah, I guess today I'm a lot more stable in that sense, but it's because of the garden and, um, what it's, what it's given me, the tools to cope, etc. So let me just say back a few things that I'm hearing. Um, and this is it, it kind of speaking of, um, these activities running paddling as, as we've already discussed, um, as just wanting to go as fast as you can to get that experience of a blur and kind of maybe a moment of reprieve from the inner landscape of anxiety and, um, and, and challenge. Um, but that, that was not a lasting result. And, and, and it really is, um, you know, that you're recognizing that that is more and more of a, of a temporary escape. And then at the same time, you had the good fortune to have garden or gardens in your life um, that you realized more and more brought you that joy and that upliftment and that grounding in this earth um, that you could lean into more and more. It does, is, does that sound, do I have that right? Yeah. yeah. So in that journey of, um, and I'm sure that, Many people who are listening, listening have had experiences of social anxiety or um, depression or great challenge. Can you talk about that, that point of navigation or that inflection point of realizing the areas of your life that you desired to kind of turn the volume down on and then seeing the garden and farming as an area that you wanted to turn the volume up on? Um, yeah, talk a little bit about that because in those moments of of desperation, sometimes it's hard to recognize those differences. Right, exactly. It becomes a habit or an addiction in, in certain ways. And, you know, both bad and good habits are are not easily overcome um, or established. And so during moments of it it can and still is sometimes hard to to cope but rather than turning to um kind of self-sabotage i now turn to my circle of influence which is the garden i don't see myself as like this controller um, or manager of mother nature, but I see myself as a part of it and as a servant to the earth in a way. Um, and 
it is in those moments when, you know, you're able to recognize the, the good that, that comes from what you're doing. And I just, when I would repeat habits of running or, um, or paddling, it, there was nothing, there was no beneficial outcome to the, you know, to, to the rest of the world. Um, and there was no beneficial outcome to myself either. More to come in just one moment. Stay with us. Why is Avid for Adventure voted one of Outside Magazine's best places to work year after year? Because when you work here, your office is the outdoors, atop mountains, in rivers, and on trails, alongside colleagues that share your passions. Your to-do list will consist of teaching curious kids how to paddle, climb, hike, bike, and thrive in the outdoors. This isn't your typical day job. It's an adventure you'll never forget. Come check out all the opportunities for this summer at Avid for Adventure at avid4.com and then click on jobs. So Seed, now with the perspective of your connection to the land and your grounding that occurs there, are you able to return to those activities such as running or paddling um, with a different perspective or have they just um, kind of lost that, uh, that, that draw for you? Um, when I initially um, had made the switch from really relying on those activities as a crutch to um, kind of becoming my, my fullest self through the seed, um, I was really against running and paddling. Um, but as that kind of wound has healed, I have been able to slowly return to those activities um, in a similar fashion to how they were practiced before I started to um, heavily rely on them. It's like my breath. <laughs> um, so now when I do travel back to Oahu, to visit family, um, I I do enjoy paddling or walking, which is like a mix between walking and jogging with my family because the outdoors has always been something that we have valued as a family. So outdoor activities such as running and paddling and rock climbing and hiking have pretty much become embedded into daily life at home. And at first, after, and, and to remark on the previous question about like how I made that change and, and when I made that change, it pretty much was a near-death moment. And I don't know how it got that far, but it did. And I am grateful for like the many second chances that I've been given and uh, you know I don't know what number chance that was but I finally finally got it <laughs> yeah I'm well I am so glad that you are with us um, can you say more about that near-death moment and that um, that 
ability or good fortune to end up where you are right now. Um, again, I just kind of think about people who are listening who could be in a similar experience. Um, and what were those doors that opened for you? I've, I've heard them kind of reflecting upon the garden and your family. Um, and maybe your writing as well. Um, let's see. So I don't know how to directly answer the question, but I would say that that moment was me kind of giving up on life, right? And deciding not to, not to nourish myself and not to really acknowledge the fact that I had a body. Um, and as I was wasting away, um, I would spend more and more time in my mind. And that's when I started to channel writing uh, because that's pretty much the only thing I had the energy to do. Um, and I became this kind of just talking head, um, which was pretty much the furthest away from who I, who I was. That's, that's when I felt the furthest away from who I was. Um, and, and then, you know, everything kind of was a blur from there. The next thing I can remember is kind of waking up in a hospital bed and people, you know, asking me all these questions and like all of a sudden everything became, became clear. Like, you know what? I, I'm here to speak for the seed and, and that's who I am. And so at that moment, I, I decided to choose life and realize that, you know, if, if, if I'm going to be alive, like, I don't want to live a lie because my past had been a lie previous to that moment and or, or before that moment. And um, so I just started to completely embody my truth and accept, you know, the world, how it was, myself, how I was in all of our imperfections and, you know, figure out where to go from there. And the, an like, the answer to everything has just been really to, to <laughs> plant the seeds. And, um, before, before I, decided that I wanted to like commit myself 100% to farming. I was in the education and outreach kind of sector, teaching people about farming and seed saving. And I realized the only reason I was there and doing that was because 
like my body wasn't in a state like a, in in healthy enough state to actually be in the field doing what I wanted to be doing all along, which was you know, growing the food. And I find it so weird um, how um, I was denying myself nourishment, and yet that's the only thing I wanted to do is like grow food. And and now I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say that things have kind of just aligned perfectly, but um, everything that was it, it's it's all kind of uh, ironic, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I just want to acknowledge your incredible journey um, to uh, to kind of witness all of this from afar and to um, really kind of uh, find this current place, which is not only um, not escapism, <laughs> but just it feels like from when I see photos of you on the land or videos of you doing a harvest, like just through you, joy, connection, like this artesian well of, of you know, who you are in connection with the land. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge what an amazing journey from what you've just shared of these moments of, um, gosh, we're lucky to have you here on this planet still to where you are right now. Um, and, uh, and being on this land and, and again, just like the wind behind you is a, is a constant reminder that literally you are on the land, you are off the grid out on this uh, piece of land, kind of working your intention forward. Let me ask you to, um, share a few things as far as your outdoor adventures that you're excited to share or proud of, or things that are kind of big moments for you when you, when you look back across your life. I guess there's like one general theme in, in all of the adventures that I've had outside and something that I I hold really close to my heart. And and that is the fact that um, I grew up with parents who really facilitated this notion of being outside and doing doing things outside as um, a way to rekindle a a spiritual and emotional connection with um, ourselves and the greater universe as well as each other um and and that's something i can i continue to carry um it's like a core value to this day and in every experience i have inside and outside um because you know it's that notion that that being outside and and moving your body or or not moving your body but just being present and and having all your senses stimulated by by something, whether it's an activity, um, or just like sitting under a tree, um, having that those moments, like it, it's something that that's hard to describe, but at the same time, um, 
so easy to understand. Because it's beyond thought. And it's just in, in, it's in emotion. It's definitely right side of your brain kind of thing. And, um, so all, all is to say that, that those moments, um, whether they were embodied in, in activities like paddling or rock climbing or hiking, mountain biking, surfing, farming, um, there was this anchoring nature to them. And, and that's really what keeps me sane <laughs> to this day. Um, and a couple specific things that really stand out to me, um, are like some family, um, family outdoor activities that we, we did, um, my dad used to have a sailboat, and <laughs> uh, one one New Year's Day, we actually wrecked it. I had to swim in. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were like a mile off the coast, and it was amazing. It's, it's just those moments that make you feel so alive <laughs> when mm. you're kind of on the edge of everything. <laughs> Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. So say a little bit more about that particular experience. So you're out there sailing and you wreck the boat. It Does it hit something? Like what happens? And the, does the boat actually sink or what happens? Yeah, it was, it was kind of an, an interesting day. Um, so it was raining on and off and, and there were like just these, interesting gusts of wind and there was this pocket of still weather so we decided to go out and um out on the water beyond the reef we were just floating then all of a sudden there was this wall of weather and my dad pretty much lost control of the boat it started to just fly out to sea and the only thing that st so so we were like encompassed by this storm and we were flying out to sea at, you know really fast um and the only reason we stopped is because our mass broke under the pressure and it started to sink and with that so did the boat oh and so we had to cut the the lines connecting the mass to the boat and um it was just us floating on kind of the hull and the, the raft part until we discovered that there are leaks in the hull. And um, my mom and dad were freaking out. My mom was like, <laughs> she took off her shirt, was waving it in the air because there was this Coast Guard boat a couple miles away from us. Um, they were there because Obama was visiting. So they were kind of patrolling the you know, outer Pre President Obama, who has a yeah, place yeah. out there. Okay. Um, they were patrolling the outer banks of the island, and um, she was trying to get their attention, but because they were, you know, a ways off, it was there was no use. But she was doing it anyway. 
Um, one of the reasons why we wanted to go out is because we wanted to see whales at this time of the year, the humpback whales um, come in large numbers. And uh, what was funny is that as our boat was, you know, sinking beneath us, like we were ankles deep in the water on this raft, um, <laughs> we saw whales. There were like three oh. started breaching uh, a couple hundred yards away from us. So that was a surreal experience. Um, and then, uh, you know, things didn't really calm down, but because we didn't have a sail attached to us anymore, um, we weren't moving extremely fast and we were starting to float back into shore. Um, all, although we were also starting to come near the Mok, Mokaluas, um, which are these two islands off the coast of Lanikai. And somehow our course set us directly, uh, kind of in in the trajectory to crash with them. And so when um, we were like thirty yards off, just like these really rocky um, banks of the Mokaluas, we we jumped, we bailed swam around to a, a beach access and there were there were people there who um mer- like miraculously were, were there number one and number two um we knew and <laughs> safely brought us into Lanikai Beach where we uh, proceeded to run home and tell our uh grandparents that that's the reason we were late of course they didn't believe us but <laughs> To, to New Year's dinner, um, <laughs> because we're always late, uh, but eventually we showed them the proof when uh, our boat crashed into the beach next to Lanikai Beach a couple days later, totally wrecked. And, and the, the sail, the mast, has never been found. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, oh that my gosh. The bottom of the ocean, for sure. Okay, I'm so glad that I asked a little bit more about a, just like a family adventure, so to speak. Um, we, <laughs> and that's only one. We've had many more. <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about like what comes next. You talked about kind of your long-term goal um, with that, but tell us a little bit about uh, what's coming up in the in the next few months on the land. So currently, um, selling uh, my crops to restaurants, food hubs, and local um, kind of grocery store chains. And um, I would like to start increasing the production capacity on my current land base by really honing in my growing techniques. And in addition, increase my land base. Um, don't need to be at 20 acres yet, but I have been looking for sites in Lalamilo, which is a um, an agricultural area up in Waimea, and I call it Mini California because <laughs> it's the perfect environment for growing um, vegetables that are more cool weather crops. So. The carrots and beets would 
thrive up there as um, the climate is, you know, this perfect combination of dry slash cool slash like just I don't even know how to describe it. it it's the soil is perfect. Um, the temperature is amazing. And then again, there's, there's not as much humidity. So that's perfect. Um, when they're trying to grow, uh, vegetables, which are, you know, by nature sensitive to humidity, um, and heat. Um, because with, you know, with those conditions come pests and diseases. Um, and I'm currently working up uh, at a lettuce farm in Lalamilo, and they're on a much larger scale. So that's also inspired me to explore the potential of utilizing mechanization um, and machinery, like tractors and harvesters. Um, and so as I look into that, I have been becoming more and more aware of kind of the ability that we as a state could have to produce um, more and more of our own food if we, you know, appropriately apply these modern tools and um, technologies. I, you know, was pretty opposed to many man-made objects in um, my my younger years and have now become aware of the fact that it's really how these incredible creations are used that reflect their merit, not you know, what they are and how they've come about. Um, and so in looking to apply uh, some of this more modern ag technology, um, you know, the, the scale at which you can grow things with the amount of man hours is incredible. And, um, yeah, it just excites me um, because I realize that that the ag industry here is incredibly uh, centered on uh, seed crop, like uh, GM seed crops. That's actually two thirds of all our exports um, are corn and soy um, that have been produced on Oahu and Kauai, namely. Um, that are genetically modified. And, um, and then there's, you know, the coffee industry and other, um, more like Hawaii advertised, um, niches like pineapples, um, and lychee. So yeah, we have, um, seed crops, tree crops, and there's, there's really not a lot of, uh, and there's cattle, like, yeah, so there's 
seed crops, fruit crops, and cattle, but the amount of vegetables that are grown here are fairly limited. Um, I'm sure you may have heard the statistic that we import over 90% of all of our goods, and um, I'm estimating we we import, you know, even more vegetables than, than 90% of, of vegetables that are consumed here. And why? Yeah, then the islands. Well, see, I so appreciate kind of the the breadth of the journey that you've taken us on, um, talking about uh, everything from your outdoor pursuits and escapism to some of the darker moments in your life to realizing and leaning more and more into the uh, the magic in the universe of the seed and the land and the garden and farming. And then talking a little bit about your vision to expand this and willingness to kind of fold in the learning around mechanization um, and uh, and the right use of, of tools for the highest good of the land and people and, and the potential that's there to reduce um, imports and and thus reduce their carbon footprint by growing more and more locally, which is something that certainly applies to to all folks. What else are there? Any other things that we haven't talked about that you think are really important for people to know about you um, in your journey? Um, let's see. I mean, I think we've really summed it up. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> like these days, I'm, I'm all about just carrots and beets and large scale production. I mean, I used to be so uh, kind of dog dogmatic about the fact that you know monocultures are destroying our <laughs> our our land and um organic is the only way to go and i'm not saying that i've done a complete 180 but i just decided to follow a more neutral path and um be aware that you know there are pros and cons to all practices um and acknowledging you know the just the agroecology surrounding us all and you know the core mission of feeding nourishing and nurturing both the people and the planet and i think as long as i hold that true to my heart i mean i'm not gonna be kind of swayed by certain alternative motives um because again the main goal is to produce as much food as possible, but not at the peril of myself, other people, or the land. So we're always trying to make and leave the environment in a state that's better off. Um, so I don't want people to get the idea, like I'm going all into like, you know, root vegetables without proper crop rotation, um, or that I'm just going to be using tractors to till up the same strip of land again and again and watch the soil erode into the waterways, etc. No, um, I've spent a lot of time 
thinking about how, you know, one can refine such practices um, that are pretty streamlined um, in, in, into more, I guess, or, or less, less, in, less, like, if I'm trying to say is, I've spent a lot of time doing research on what other people have done research on. <laughs> um, so I want to attribute, like, my future practices to them, my current and future practices. Right now, I'm just doing everything on a hand scale. And so I'm just <laughs> rambling on about my aspirations <laughs> to uh, buy large-scale equipment <laughs> and machinery and, um, and, and, you know, farm on a larger scale. That's been, it's been my goal for, for quite a while. Um, but more recently, it's, it's become a, a goal that has shifted to the, to the top of my list as I've honed in on, like, my techniques for, like, now that I feel confident growing the crops that I'm passionate about and have identified this niche, um, market for local roots, um, cause a lot of people are just going greens and, not only um, are grains, you know, maybe not the most calorically dense foods, uh, but the market is very saturated for grains here. <laughs> um, and so I'm, yeah, again, just rambling on, but I'm um, really interested in growing roots on a large scale. And now that I feel confident that I can grow them on hand scale, <laughs> I'm excited to kind of go from here. Well, I can see you light up as you talk about it. It just it's wonderful to watch you beam as you talk about that uh, current and future thought. And what comes to mind for me in the the way that you've been um, kind of evolving your um, your perspective on the land and your farming is this term um, high commitment, low attachment. Um, so you have great clarity on the end goal of feeding people and leaving the land the same or better. Uh, and, um, and then the attachment to exactly the path there, it feels like there's some growing openness to uh, kind of explore around the edges of that path. And I feel like that's a great message for listeners in general um, for us all <laughs> to be able to kind of step out of the potential a maniacally narrow path forward to kind of see around the edges and um, keep focused on the, on the end goal there. Well, Seed, thank you so much for your time in the uh, literal outdoors on your land uh, in Hawaii. And it has been a total pleasure speaking with you today. Yes. And same to you. And, and one final thought, I guess I will leave you with is the fact that um, kind of, you know, having this just this goal um of becoming Hawaii's primary producer of beets and carrots um it it, it definitely grounds me in kind of it, it while I have like you know a much larger vision and end Goal. Um, it's it's nice to have um, something 
that can, you know, channel all of my present energy into. I don't know. Awesome. Yeah, I I see it. I absolutely do in, in the day to day and um, working the land. And I look forward to seeing more photos and videos of harvest and and the day to day activities out there. See Levine, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having. I hope you enjoyed hearing from this avid adventurer as much as I did. Join me every week as we continue to explore the inner landscapes and outer accomplishments of our guests. And if you know someone who you think would make a great interview, please reach out to me at the email in the show notes. I look forward to reconnecting next week.